one theological college hosted an annual picnic to which they invited one of the greatest minds to lecture in their theological education center. One year, the guest lecturer was a liberal professor who spoke for about two and a half hours claiming the resurrection of Jesus was false. The professor quoted scholar after scholar and book after book and concluded that since there was no such thing as the historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church was groundless. Emotional mumbo-jumbo. Because it was based on a relationship with a risen Jesus who, in fact, never rose from the dead in any literal sense. He then asked if there were any questions. After about 30 seconds, an old, white-haired preacher stood up in the back of the auditorium. Dr. Professor, I got one question. And all eyes turned toward the old man. He reached into his sack lunch and pulled out an apple and began eating it. Crunch much. My question is a simple question. Crunch much. Now I ain't never read them books you read. Crunch much. And I can't recite those scriptures in the original Hebrew and Greek. Crunch much. And I don't know nothing about those scholars. Crunch much. He finished the apple. All I want to know is this. The apple I just ate, was it bitter or sweet? The professor paused for a moment and then answered, I cannot possibly answer that question for I haven't tasted your apple. The old preacher dropped the core of his apple into his paper bag looked up at the professor and said calmly, neither have you tasted my Jesus. The others in the audience could not contain themselves. The auditorium erupted with applause and cheers and the professor simply walked off the stage. It's all about Jesus this morning. All about Jesus. For the last two weeks, we have been studying the Apostle Paul's letter to this young congregation in Colossae, who were being threatened by false teachers who had slithered into the area and were trying to wiggle their way into the church. These false teachers offered their own fusion. 
their own fusion of religious beliefs to these new believers who were seeking information, seeking knowledge. And these teachers challenged the foundational truths about Jesus and his message of the gospel. Ultimately, these teachers rejected the deity of Christ. In other words, they said Jesus is not God. And they also said his payment for sin on a cross was not enough. They needed to do more to earn their salvation. Well, as you might imagine, Paul had something to say about that to counter this false teaching. And in the next portion of his letter, Paul begins to explain who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 20 to get us started. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 15. She'll be on the wall behind me. Paul says, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. One day, Jesus was with His disciples on the way to Caesarea Philippi. And He asked them, you remember this. He asked them, 
Who do people say that I am? Do you remember that? Who do people say that I am? Well, some of his disciples spoke up and claimed the common people were saying that he is John the Baptist raised from the dead after King Herod had him executed. King Herod believed that. Others thought that he was the prophet Elijah who didn't die but was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind and there was a notion that he would reappear before the Messiah came. Then there were those who thought that Jesus might be one of the other prophets. Although the common people had the wrong idea about Jesus, at least their ideas were positive. The common people loved Jesus. They were fascinated and and amazed by him, even though they did not fully know him. So Jesus was told what the common people were thinking. Then Jesus takes this one step further. Since his disciples had been with him for over two years, he asks them one of the most important questions that can ever be asked. But who do you think I am? In other words, I know what others are thinking about me. But what do you believe about me? This was a question for the disciples. In many respects, it was a question for the Colossians. And some 2,000 years later, it's still a question for you and me. Who is Jesus? Well, in our passage, Paul really lays it out. And beginning with verse 15 on your screen, He speaks first about Jesus as the Creator. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Let's stop there. We are told way back in Genesis 
that we were made in the image of God. But here Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of God. The Greek word for image is ikon. And it's where we get our English word for icon. And it means Jesus is the exact likeness of God. He is the perfect manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus made the invisible God visible. I like that. Jesus made the invisible God visible. Or we could say just as well if this helps. If the invisible God were to look in the mirror, Jesus would be the visible reflection. Jesus is the mirror image of God. Seeing Jesus is seeing God. And Jesus said just as much when He told Philip, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. God had a desire to make Himself known to us. To enter into a relationship with us. And so at the right time, God took on flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the invisible and the unknowable God became visible and known. Possessing all the nature and the characteristics of God to their fullest extent because Jesus is God. As God, Jesus is the Creator, the firstborn of all creation. Now, that word firstborn has created some confusion. And let me say right off the bat, it does not mean Jesus was the first to be created by God. He was not created. Okay? You got me there. In the Greek, that word firstborn is prototokos. And in this context, it refers to rank or or importance. And in that sense, firstborn is a title and has nothing to do with timing. It's a title. For example, King David was called, King David was called the firstborn in Psalm 89. Okay? King David was called the firstborn in Psalm 89, but we know 
David was the youngest of eight brothers. So it was a title of importance given to David. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn, a title of preeminence. He's supreme over all creation. In fact, he preexisted before creation. And we know this because in verse 16 behind me, we are told that Jesus created all things, everything. And if he created everything, then how could he be created? How could he create himself? So logic holds Jesus is supreme over, over all creation, for by him all things were created. If you noticed, the words all things appear several times throughout this passage. I think five times. So it would seem that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wants us to understand that all things mean just that. All things. And to avoid any, conclu- any confusion, Paul still points out this includes all things in heaven and on earth, all things visible and invisible, and he also includes thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities which are references to supernatural beings, such as angels. In short, nothing, nothing from subatomic particles to massive galaxies exists apart from the Lord's creative power. Jesus is supreme over all creation because all creation was created by Him. Through Him. And for Him. Jesus is the source of all things. He planned it. He produced it. And it's used for His purpose. Jesus created all things. But not only that, He sustains all things. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things. He has always been. He has always existed before creation. And according to Paul, all things, all of creation are sustained by Jesus. He's the one doing it. Even now. Even now. Everything that exists, exists because of Him and continues to exist. He's holding it all together. And if it was not for Jesus, everything would fall apart and cease to exist. 
there's an interesting law of science called Coulomb's Law of Electricity. You ever heard that? Coulomb's Law of Electricity. Which simply says, like charges repel. If you had a magnet in your right hand and a magnet in your left hand, and you pushed the two positive ends together, what would happen? They would push apart. You, you, could, you can feel, you can feel that, 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 that force to want to push them apart. Right? So like charges repel. If you switch one magnet and put the, the positive end to the negative end, what happens? They want to go together, right? So opposite charges attract and like charges repel. Are you with me? That's the law. Okay. But there's a great mystery. I'm going to bring up that slide. <clears throat> Do you see the, uh, the atom up here? Okay. In the nucleus of an atom, protons are packed together. You see the protons up there. They are packed together, which are all positive charged particles. They are all positive. Do you see that? What keeps the positive charged protons from repelling against each other? You're cheating. <laughs> what holds them together? The law is they should be repelling one another. That's the law. They should be repelling one another. They are, they are they're, they're all positively charged. They are similarly charged. They should, what keeps the electrons, which are negatively charged, from invading the nucleus to reach the protons. The law says it should. Science doesn't know why either. But they have an answer. They have an answer. Here's their answer. You ready? <clears throat> There is a strong force that holds the nucleus together, overpowering the repelling action of the protons and the attracting force of the electrons to invade the nucleus. That's what they got. It's a strong, invisible force. That's their answer. It's a strong, invisible force. A mystery to the scientists, but to us, it's not a mystery to all. In fact, this force has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who holds all things together. 
Jesus was before all things, before planets, before galaxies, before matter and energy, before time and space. As far back as our minds can imagine, God the Son was already co-eternally existing with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and He holds all things together even now. So Jesus is God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and He is head over His brand new creation at that time, the church. Verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace Through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The church is described in many ways. And here it is described as the body. The body is a living organism that is organized. It has many members which are joined together with different roles and and various functions, and yet it is one body, and the body has a head, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, like the head of a river. He is the origin of the church. The church is dependent upon Him and He has authority to control every aspect of it. Jesus began the church. It's His new creation. He is the source of life for the church and He is sovereign over it. Paul tells us that Jesus is the beginning the starting point of everything, even the firstborn from the dead. Now there's that word firstborn again. And in this context, the resurrection of Jesus was the first of its kind. It's supreme over all other resurrections, for without His resurrection, there could be no other resurrection of believers to follow. Now the Bible tells us of many people who were raised from the dead, both in the Old and in the New Testament. Right? Even Jesus raised a few from the dead. So how is Jesus the firstborn from the dead? Good question. 
Well, here's the answer. All of the people who were raised from the dead before the resurrection of Jesus had one thing in common. All of them. They all died again. They all died. Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead with an indestructible, glorified body And because Jesus died for our sins and God raised Him from the dead, never to die again, He is the firstborn from the dead and He has first place in everything. We know that God highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is exalted. You know, when I read passages like that, that Jesus is first in everything, I have to ask myself, is Jesus first place in my life? Really? I mean, I say it all the time. We say it all the time, right? But is it really true? Does it really show? I know we all have priorities. I get that. There are some things that are more important than others. And it has to be that way. I understand that. But with that said, with that said, God is to be given top priority over everything and everyone else in our lives. Now we could spend all day sorting that out. Right? What does that look like? In any aspect of our lives, we could spend all day sorting that out. But I'm just, I'm just going to simply ask, Are you, are you truly invested? I like that word. Are you truly invested in growing in your relationship with the Lord? I can't answer that for you. But are you truly invested in growing in your relationship with the Lord. 
And if the answer is yes, what does that look like? What's that look like? Are you striving to follow Him? Have you come to that place where you can say, not, not my will, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. And I mean it. I really, I really mean it. We all have to come to that place. Because if I fear we do, if we don't, I fear we're just going through the motions. That's my fear. We just go through the motions. Are you truly are you truly invested in growing in your relationship with the Lord? That's my question to you this morning. Jesus has to be first place in everything because he is first place in everything. He is the creator. He is the sustainer who holds everything together. He is the head of the church. He is supreme over all things. And beginning with verse 19, Paul tells us why. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It was God's joy to fully dwell, to settle down and be at home in Jesus. All that God is was emptied into Jesus. And if you want to see God, just take a good look at Jesus. That's why I love spending time in the Gospels. To get a good look at Jesus. We're told the work of salvation in Christ was the joyous work of God. God took on human skin. He came into the midst of His own creation. And in joy, He reconciled us to Himself through the blood of Jesus. On January 26, 2005, at 6.03 a.m., a southbound Metrolink commuter train collided with a sport utility vehicle that had been abandoned on the tracks in Glendale, California. The train derailed and struck another train, causing 11 deaths and over 200 
injuries. There was one story coming out of that accident that gripped Southern California. It involved a man who was on that train. Normally, he later said he wouldn't have not he would he wouldn't have taken the train, but he was called in early to work at an aerospace plant in Burbank. He was sitting upstairs in the double-decker car, asleep, when the wreck occurred. He recalled waking up to find himself trapped under the debris and covered with blood. He realized he had been badly injured. And with the blood oozing out of his own body, he used his finger to write a note to his family telling them that he loved them. In essence, that's what Jesus did. With his own blood, shed on a cross, Jesus bore our sin and told us that he loved us. Jesus took the full wrath of God. He took our place, the place of judgment we deserved, And for those who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, finally there is peace. The sin barrier that once separated us from God is removed once and for all. Without Jesus, there is no other way to make peace with God. Now, beginning with verse 21, Paul starts to get a little personal. And he says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Okay, it's not fair. And although you, he's getting personal, although you, you were once enemies of God. You were once hostile with God. You were indifferent towards Him. And your works, wicked works, showed it. Yet, that's a little big word. Yet, Jesus in His physical body through His death reconciled you to Himself. He did it. Jesus carried out the transaction so He might personally present you and me as holy and blameless beyond reproach. That's how God sees us in Christ. 
He will look down on us and see us without spot or blemish beyond a single accusation because it was settled 2,000 years ago on a cross. This is God's joyous work of salvation. In that last verse, verse 23, you will notice it begins with the word if. If. Another little big word. Normally, we might see that word if as if there is a catch to what Paul is saying. Or as if there is some doubt about one's right standing with God. But actually, that's not the case here at all. What Paul is saying is this. If you are truly a child of God, if you are really saved, then I am sure you will continue in the faith and nothing will move you away from the gospel. That's what he's saying. What Paul is saying is a positive assumption. It's an expression of confidence in these Colossian believers that they will continue in the faith. And if I might add something here, just for the sake of clarification, and listen, we are not saved, hear me, we are not saved by continuing in the faith. Instead, hear me, instead, we will continue in the faith because we are saved. That's his point. We will continue because we are saved. He's confident about the continuing faith which is proof of a genuine salvation. And if a person does not continue in the faith, okay, then they were never in the faith in the first place. That's what Paul's saying. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, there are times when we will waver in our faith. And yes, there are times when our faith will grow dim. That goes for all of us at times. But true faith, the Gospel faith in Jesus never ceases. It continues. And lastly, Paul concludes this portion with his words, Me, even me, the guy who once hated Jesus and His movement with a passion, me of all people, I was made a minister of this very hope that we have in Jesus. There is an old recipe for rabbit stew. Rabbit stew. And it starts out like this. First, catch the rabbit. 
that puts first things first. And that's Paul's message. That's the message he is driving home. Without Christ, nothing else matters. Christ must be first in our lives. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. I, I hope I did it justice. Father, in my mind, I keep coming back asking the question, are You first in my life? I know You should be. Father, in the the quietness here, Lord, I I pray that we would all be asking ourselves that question. It's a challenging question. It's a question that that requires some self-inventory. Is Jesus really first? First place in my life? I know we say it, but is it true? Father, bring us all to that place. Me most of all. Bring us all to that place where we humbly submit to You and yield ourselves to You. And Father, Your your will be done in our lives no matter what, no matter the cost. May You be honored and glorified, Father. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. I was thinking this morning about many things. About Jesus being the creator of all things, the the sustainer of all things. In other words, He holds everything together. The atoms don't go flying apart because He holds them together. You know what that means? He created the hill called Golgotha and holds it together. He held it together. He created the thorns that were pushed in His brow. He held them together. He created the metal used for the nails that were hammered into his hands and feet. He created the wooden cross. He sustained it all. Isn't that that amazing to think about? He held the cross together. So it would accomplish its purpose to redeem you and me. That's who Jesus is. That's what he did. He loves us that much, more than you will ever know. He deserves to be first place in our lives. 
He earned it. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to tell you about Him. He loves you so much. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe you just need prayer about something. I'd love to pray with you. Whatever God has placed on your heart, I just pray you'd respond to Him. Follow Him. Larry.